Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 443 of the Juice Box Podcast. My hello, friends, has gotten higher. I don't know if you've noticed or not lately. I could be like, hello, friends, but I'm sometimes like, hello, friends. I just let it happen. Anyway, hello, friends. Welcome to episode 442 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's show is with Kim. Kim's daughter has been recently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and Kim has found a very interesting and important way to donate her time to type 1. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about clinical trials, but also about Kim's daughter and their experience. It's a little mishmash, a hodgepodge kind of a thing, but uh, Kim... Well, I'll let her tell you what she does. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I have to admit, just then I kind of showed off with my lower range of my voice because I went into that whole like, hello, friends thing. I was like, let me just show off my lower range. All right, so enough of that silliness. Before we get started, though, I have to say this. The show has advertisers. And this show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. The show is also sponsored today by the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Check it out at contournext.com forward slash juice box juice box forward slash hi i'm kim and until about a year and a half ago i knew absolutely nothing about any kind of diabetes and at that point my daughter nina who is then 13 was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and um Based on a few things that happened at her diagnosis and a few things I learned a little bit later on, I decided to get involved with um, letting people know about clinical trials. So I became a clinical trial education volunteer with JDRF, which basically means I find out everything I can about clinical trials and try to match patients with clinical trials that might benefit them and obviously benefit type one diabetics as a whole. Wow. What chapter are you with? I'm with the Northern California chapter and JDRF has launched this as a sort of a a trial balloon initiative with a bunch of chapters throughout the country. So there's a team of clinical trial education volunteers that they're hoping to grow soon. So you're basically out in the world looking for clinical trials that exist for people with type one diabetes, then going back to the people within your chapter and letting them know about it. Exactly. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. And that's a newer thing for you guys. It's a newer thing for JDRF and it's a, um, and all of this is a newer thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you sort of said at the beginning and didn't say that something that happened made you interested in it. What happened that made you interested in clinical trials? Well, I think there were kind of three things. Um, and I knew I wanted to get involved in helping in whatever way I could make things better for people with this disease and for my daughter. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the, the few things that happened was one, when my daughter was diagnosed, there was a clinical trial going on called Protect. And this is a trial that's still going on where they give you a drug called teplizumab, 
which has been proven in people who haven't um, yet gotten diabetes, but have antibodies that predict that they will get diabetes. Um, they've shown that this drug can prevent the onset of diabetes for three years. And so now they're testing this drug in kids who are newly diagnosed with diabetes to see if they can keep the honeymoon going longer and keep their insulin producing beta cells producing insulin longer. And this trial was happening and um, I didn't find out about it right away. But then when I did find out about it, I, I think it was the 4th of July and had a hard time finding someone to talk to about it. And when I did, they were wonderful. But then we were going on a trip and we didn't want to cancel the trip because A, we wanted to go on the trip and B, we wanted to you know show our daughter that our lives weren't going to change. So we never got the opportunity to do this trial because it was, you, you needed to get involved in it within three weeks of diagnosis. And since then, my daughter has a friend who has done this trial and needs about a third of the insulin that she does. And that's just an anecdote, but I really wish we had figured out a way to get involved in that clinical trial um, back when she was first diagnosed. So that was, that was kind of the first thing that happened. Can I, can I say, that before yeah, you yeah, go to go your ahead. second thing, the irony here is that I just had Carla Greenbaum on the show like two days ago. And Carla, oh. she's the principal investigator um, at Benaroya. Oh, uh, so, okay. so she's involved. Yeah, she's involved with uh, the Protect study and Topple. And she's uh, also, um, is I think, the lead chair. I think that's how she's described for TrialNet. Oh, well, fabulous. And your audience knows all about this, which is great. And I try to listen to all of your episodes, but I, I somehow haven't gotten that to that one yet. <laughs> no, no, no. It, I think it genuinely went up like two days ago. So, oh, okay. Um, but that's just, as you're talking, you're like, you said the name of the trial, the study, Protect. And I was like, boy, I feel like someone just said that to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's an incredible, incredible drug that they found. And then it can prevent the onset of type one in people with antibodies, which is my other story. I took my 10 year old daughter to get tested for autoantibodies and um, she has none. So, so far so good. But I knew that there was this teplizumab and there's a few other drugs out there now that can really prevent the onset of type one. And so I knew it was important to get her tested as well so that we could do what we could to prevent the onset if, um, or at least be aware of, you know, her possibly getting type one as well. And when I took her to do the study, um, she was scared, of course. Um, and, you know, there'd been a lot of drama in our house around, um, you know, needing shots and needles. And, um, and so she was just a little bit terrified of getting the blood draw. But when she got it done. She was really proud. And they gave her a shirt said, you know, I've contributed to science. And I think it gave her a sense of, Hey, I, I'm doing something here. I'm involved. And so um, for me, I was like, wow, you know, not only does this help, you know, everybody with type one diabetes, but it actually is giving kids who are getting involved some sense of, you know, sense of ownership and sense that they can do something about this. Yeah. One thing that uh, Carla talked about, about trial net that I feel like we just cruised right over and didn't dig deeply enough into was just the value that TrialNet provides. Like, you know, if you are found to have antibodies when you're tested with them, then they they support you then. It's not like they just go, hey, you have antibodies, go tell it, you should go tell a doctor. It's not, you know, yeah. it's, it's you become part of this, you know, this this group. And um, and you have actual actual people who understand what having the antibodies means there to talk to you and help you guide, uh, help you. Yeah, guide. and they're the ones also, you know, they, they're involved with the 
try getting you into the trials that will help postpone the onset of diabetes, which is brilliant, as you and I both know. Uh, you know, however many years you can have without it is is good in the short run and the long run. No kidding. There's a, it, this is directly from the um, I think it's BenaroyaResearch.org. I think I'm saying Benaroya correctly, is what I'm saying. Uh, previous clinical studies have suggested a benefit of how do you say the drug name? Teplizumab. Teplizumab in prolonging insulin production in people who have recently been diagnosed with type 1. A recent landmark study showed that this drug can delay development in T1Ds in at-risk individuals. Uh, Development of T1D in at-risk individuals, meaning the project study is evaluating and they're now, excuse me, they're now evaluating how well the drug works in children and adolescents who have been recently diagnosed with type 1. In addition, the study will look into whether the medicine causes any unwanted side effects. So that's a really great study. It's a really great study. And they've, they've shown that on average, they can postpone the onset by three years and it's been submitted to the FDA. So it should be, if all goes well, it should be on the market this year. So the idea is you're screened, you show antibodies, don't have type one diabetes, go on this drug with a really hard to say name. And then, yes. <laughs> and then hopefully for up to three years, you don't get type one. You've nailed it. Yeah. yeah. Because- and, and hopefully in, in those three years, they figure out something else that they can do with those um you know, baby three, cells yeah. that you're keeping and yeah. you know keep it keep that postponement on going on right yeah you're buying time right so yeah and, yeah. and, and there's a lot as you know the just the advances and everything that's happening and um you know both treatments drugs cures for diabetes it's it's you know it's moving rapid fire so buying time is super important yeah. I, listen even if, even if it only got you three years and nothing else That'd be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be worth it. Yeah, Absolutely. No I, yeah. I agree. Oh, and I forgot to say the other thing that got me involved in this mm-hmm. is I learned that 70% of clinical trials, and this isn't a diabetes number, this is just a general clinical trial number, but 70% of clinical trials don't complete due to lack of participation. And they find that the biggest reason they're isn't enough participation is just that people don't know about the trials. So when people find out about them and they're, you know out there and um, people tend to, you know, they find the people to be part of them, but in general, 70% of trials don't fill. And so this is huge in terms of slowing down all the improvements in tech and drugs and cures. Um, And so I thought that's a ridiculous number. I I need to do what I can do to lower that number. Yeah. Well, that's really lovely. I, and I know that to be a hundred percent true because I work with T1D exchange as well. Mm-hmm. And they collect the simplest data from people with type 1 diabetes. Like, it's not probing or, do you know what I mean? Like, it's nothing you wouldn't just tell somebody in a casual conversation if you were, you know, having a casual conversation. And yeah. their biggest concern, too, is just it's hard to get people to want to get involved. And the involvement is, I, I mean, I did it for my daughter. Um, T1D Exchange specifically is for U.S. residents. And right. uh, you have to be type 1 or, or the caregiver of somebody. And and I might have taken five, six, seven minutes to do what I needed to do. I did it on my phone, and I was like, "Well, this was all they needed," you, you know. And and it's but it's right. hard to get that through to somebody, and then they get to yeah. the idea of study. We're collecting data, and then people get scared, you know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And um and some of these studies, like the one we talked about with the the hard to say name, um, teplizumab, um you need to get involved in that study. The new study, which is for recently diagnosed kids, you need to get in that study in three weeks of diagnosis. So that's really hard to get people. 
you know, they're, they're overwhelmed. Um, they're not finding out about it until it's too late. And, mm-hmm. um, there's another one. Have you heard of it? There's a stubborn, uh, a, a study called clever. I don't know that one. So this one is, a, you know, sort of like the, the form you filled in online. This is a no brainer for somebody to get involved in. And, um, because it's really easy and it provides such a quick benefit. So it's, it's a study that is looking at hybrid closed loop, which I know Arden is on as is Nina, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and verapamil, which is a, it's a blood pressure drug that's been on the market for, I think over 20 years and verapamil in a, in a prior study in adults was shown to completely preserve beta cell function in newly diagnosed adult diabetics. So in this study, they, they're looking for seven to 18 year olds also within three weeks of diagnosis, they either put you on a hybrid closed loop or verapamil or both, or you, you could be in the fourth group where you don't get either. Um, but regardless, they give you a Dexcom G6 for a year. You're possibly getting a closed loop system at diagnosis, and you're possibly getting a drug that might preserve your beta cells. So, you know, it, it's, just, I don't know. I think that's such an easy kind of study for people to get involved in, but again, they have to find out about it and call the right people within three weeks of diagnosis in order to become part of this. Yeah. And how in the world are you going to find yourself on clinicaltrials.gov in the, right. in the waning weeks right. after a yeah. diagnosis? Yeah. yeah. So listen to Scott, get on clinicaltrials.gov if you've just been diagnosed. Um, but the, you know, um, and I, I don't know how you got Arden set up on the DIY loop, but for us, that was something we wanted to do right away. But, you know, the Riley link was back ordered, and, you know, we didn't do that within three weeks of diagnosis. So getting somebody to just give that to you right away, I think is, I don't know, makes my heart melt. Yeah, it's lovely. Uh, no, I, how did we do it? So the way we did it was a listener of the podcast uh, who I knew personally, um, you know, through online. I don't think I know anybody personally anymore, but, um, but uh, <laughs> she was just she was badgering me to do this. I think, I don't know why, like she's going to come on one day and explain her whole thought process, but she was like, you should try this, try this, try this. So I looked really hard at it and I thought, I feel comfortable with this for Arden, like safety wise. Yeah. And I really do believe that, you know, different kinds of closed loop systems are going to be, um, you know, our cutting edge and the way of the future. And, and, and I wanted Arden to be on it to begin with. And so I thought, well, while we're waiting for, you know, more traditional um, offerings from companies, like I'll give this a shot. And uh, it ended up being terrific. You know, it really is. Yeah, no, it is. It is. I I agree. I don't know what we what we did without it for those four or five weeks that we couldn't get it going yet. I was going to say that it's funny, though, but you only had you only like you did it without an algorithm for four or five weeks. Yeah. Um, And during a newly diagnosed, you're probably honeymooning then. I imagine. Too. Yeah. 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 And we were on a bicycle trip, so she was exercising. So, so that, that was, you know, it was survivable. I, I think that's um, really telling in that, you know, for years, maybe upon decades, the, the message in diabetes has been, you know, well, you should have diabetes for six months before we give you a pump or a year before you get a glucose, you know, like they, I don't, there was always this idea of like, you should struggle with it. So you know what the that's struggle insane. is. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it gets ingrained into people because it's told to them, as a rule, and then it's told to more and more people, and those people create a, a community online, and then that's just you know when you hear something out loud, that's the reaction because 
people are like, well, my doctor told me I had to wait six months. And yeah. then someone else will come in and go, oh, my doctor said a year. And then there'll be a next, the next person that's like, I got one in a month. Yeah. And, and it's just yeah. interesting how it creates a, a, I'm making air quotes, but it creates a rule like somehow that because a lot of people do something one way, this somehow is the rule. Yeah. Um, and we were not told that you should go on, you know, the DIY loop a month after diagnosis. <laughs> no, you found the, you found the trial. We, we asked around and figured out that's what we needed to do. Yeah. And um, yeah. And, and this study though, Clever. It's spelled C L V E R. Um, mm-hmm. Just in case anyone who's listening wants to look it up. I mean, even if I've heard, I've seen on some of these Facebook groups, like my doctor doesn't want me to get a CGM right away, or doesn't want me to get a pump right away. So, I, I think that is changing, and and it's becoming more standard of care to get the devices more quickly, but this kind of study not only gets people on potentially on a hybrid closed loop, definitely on the Dexcom right away, but it also gives them, I think this is a cool thing about the trials is that in addition to the endocrinologist who you generally see quarterly, it gets you an additional endocrinologist who's really by your side and who is constantly communicating with you, seeing how things are going, helping you get going. And so it it's like people think that it's overwhelming in the first three weeks to get involved in a clinical study, but in a way it would make it less overwhelming. It feels like more support maybe for some people. It would feel like more support. Yeah. yeah. So my, my dot Nina's friend who did the teplizumab trial, they, they have long conversations. I mean, they teplizumab, you have to go in 12 days in a row to get the drug. Um, you have to go into the, you know, the study center. And so they sit there with the doctor who tells them all about how is your exercise affecting your diabetes and how is your menstrual cycle going to be affecting your diabetes. And so they learned so much just in having that one-on-one relationship that they got through doing that trial. Yeah. So many conversations you get to have about like little micro topics you wouldn't get to have otherwise. Yeah. You get these rock star, rock star endocrinologists just hanging out with you. Yeah. You know, I'm going to jump up on a soapbox for one second, say something, yeah. and then I want to ask you about your daughter's diagnosis. But um, just to go back for a second, and this has nothing to do with why you came on, but you've got me a little lit up inside about it. Um, the idea that you should struggle for six months or a year so that you really understand diabetes, and then we'll give you the gear that makes it much easier and healthier way of living. And the idea is, well, you know, we don't want to start you with that stuff, because what if you lose it one day, you won't know what to do. And I'm like, well, what about all the people who won't lose it one day and will never have to struggle? Like, what's the, I mean, what's it hurt to move the struggle to the end from the beginning? Maybe it hurts. I I can make the argument it hurts less. Like, why don't we take the struggle away from the beginning, show them what it looks like to have it this way. And then if something happens, if insurance falls through or, or, you know, we're all running from zombies, so you can't get your Dexcom sent to you through FedEx, um, you know, like, like if that happens, then you'll learn to, you're telling me I should struggle for a whole year in case something bad happens. It's right. like, I don't understand. Like, that's just, that that's one random way of thinking about it, which might not even be wrong, but it's odd to treat it like that's the only way to think about it. Absolutely. You know? I, I think it's, I think it's a sin not to have people leave the hospital with a glucose monitor. Yeah. I've uh, said that a lot of times. So yeah, uh, you should get one of those with your, you should get a membership card. I don't know what you would do with a membership card. Uh, should say, <laughs> and then you should get a CGM. It just should yeah. be and like uh, here. And honestly, Scott, yeah, I, I maybe gave two shots because we moved on to technology really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you said, can you give my daughter a shot? I'd 
probably like, oh no, I don't know how to do it, but I'd figure it out if, if that's all we had left. If we lost all our devices, yeah. I'd figure that out. Well, I'd be okay. Well, listen, here, <laughs> here's a little anecdote that proves your point even more. I have given my daughter tens of thousands of injections, mm. literally. Yeah. And now we haven't done it for a number of years and I'm not very good at it anymore. Right. So right. turns out it's, it's, I mean, I can do it and I get away with it, but yeah. if I do it for her, she looks at me like, eh, I've had better experiences than the one you've just given. <laughs> and I'll say, no, yeah. I know I've forgotten. Uh, I don't do this much anymore. So. Right. Right. Like, so me, why? Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously it was back in the day where that was the option, but why would you make someone do that just to forget how to do it and then have to relearn it in an emergency? Yeah. I think if you dig deeper into this conversation, what you'll find is that a while back and maybe even now still, you have doctors who are not comfortable with or understand the technology well. And I think they want you to get better at diabetes so that you won't come to them and ask them how to use the technology. Yeah. Yes. Could be. And I think, you know, the good news is, and this does loop it back to the clinical trials, um, no pun intended with the looping. But I think that that's, I think that's going to change even from when my daughter was diagnosed, which was 2019, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't, I, I've heard more and more people leaving the hospital with CGM. And now that there are on the market closed loop systems and, you know, tide pools is coming really soon. And um, as is a, uh, you know, the Omnipod horizon system, like yeah. that's, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I think that's going to change. Yeah. I, well, listen, I hope so, but yes, don't, I hope so too. but don't bet on it in every doctor's office is what I'm saying. So, and, <laughs> yeah. and for every person who gets a great doctor and gets great direction, there are, there are far more people who don't. And, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's just not, it, it, it needs to be said here because if you show up here as a person who didn't get great direction, you need to know there's a difference between what was said to you and what other people do. Right. And I think what people need to know is that they they can decide, right? Like I left, I mean, they can't necessarily decide you need a prescription in order to get insurance coverage. And in some cases to get the devices at all, but it was not standard of care in the hospital where my daughter was diagnosed to leave with devices. And we just said that this is, you know, very strongly, this is what we want. There was a diabetes educator who there who agreed with us and, you know, helped make it happen. You know, you just said something that took me back to like maybe my happiest moment when George W. Bush was president and he, he was talking about like some Donald Rumsfeld like problem as secretary of defense. I don't remember what he was talking about, but he said, yeah. I am the decider and I decide what's best. <laughs> and I always it just made me laugh forever because I don't know. I am the decider is not English, but at the but the point is <laughs> you are the decider. You get yeah. to go into a doctor's office and. And listen to what someone says and think, that doesn't seem right for me. Yeah. And say that out loud. Um, yeah. I always boil it down to very simply, if your doctor says no to you, you should ask why. Because very often you might find that there's no reason on the other side of that no, other than, you know, that's not what we do around here. Um, and with diabetes, they're sending you home to be in charge. So, you know, it's not the same as something where you're going back to the doctor for every shot or every, you know, care decision. Yeah. You're going home and have to be in charge of making micro decisions every day. Mm -hmm. So you should be in charge of what technology you use. There is a very real place you can get with type 1 diabetes. And it, it, if you have good tools and good, um, I guess, direction, 
It won't yeah. take you very long to get to them. And that place is where your endocrinologist becomes, for the most part, the nice person with the prescription pad and the ability to get your blood draws done for you. you. You know, and then don't get me wrong, something comes up, you go right back to them. But your point is my point, saying it two different ways, is your doctor's not the one managing your blood sugars moment to moment. Right. And they're never right. going to be. Yeah. And we, we've been lucky. We now have a doctor who not only um, not only respects what we know now, because obviously you learn so much when you go home and you make those day-to-day decisions, but she's actually even pretty good at looking at our data. And that's what, you know, so much of that job now is looking at data and deciding what to change. And that's to, to their, you know, that's not what they were trained in. Right. So, but, you know, we have an endocrinologist who's really learned to make decisions based on all of that data, but Mm. that data is so much more than what they were trained to look at. Right. So it's a tough job. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I, I I will tell you 100%. Um, I, I agree with you. It, it, it is a difficult thing for them. I don't want to seem like I'm coming down on doctors. I'm certainly not. I'm, yeah. I'm saying that there are different levels of direction that people get. And what you don't realize until you've spoken to thousands of people with diabetes is that everyone believes that the level they're getting is the right yeah. thing. And, yeah. th- and that becomes problematic if you never get outside of your bubble and don't Absolutely. hear something Which is else. why your podcast is great, because that gets people outside of their bubble. Wow. So thank well, you. No, you're very welcome. I appreciate it. Um, why don't we do this? Tell me a little bit about your daughter's diagnosis. Gvoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Gvoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. Everyone deserves an accurate blood glucose meter, but not everybody has one. You can, though. You can have the Contour Next One Meter. It is very affordable, and you can learn more about it easily right there from where you're sitting, on your phone, on your computer, by going to contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Get to that link. Find out about the meter that Arden has been using for a couple of years now with a lot of success. A meter that very closely matches with her Dexcom G6. A meter that has second chance test strips and a super bright light for nighttime viewing. On top of that, the Contour Next One is easy to hold, easy to carry, and easy to hide away in your purse or your pocket. It's not bulky. Sometimes size matters, but in this situation, a lot comes in this little package. But yet, it's not so small that you can't hold onto it. It's sort of perfectly sized, I guess is what I'm saying. I love the second chance test strips, being able to touch the blood, not get enough, and go back for more without wasting a strip. It's huge. And some of you might actually be eligible for a free meter, and they have a test strip program. There's a lot going on at contournext.com forward slash juicebox that I think you should find out about. Head over now. If you're not able to remember the links to Contour and Chivoke, don't worry. They're right there in the show notes of your podcast player or at juiceboxpodcast.com. It's time now to get back to Kim, hear about her daughter's diagnosis 
and then jump back into those clinical trial conversations. We're not nearly done yet. Typical story, she, you know, had the standard symptoms of being thirsty and um, just um, took her, actually I called the pediatrician and she said, it sounds like your daughter has diabetes. And I said, no, that's ridiculous. Um, and she said, no, I think you should bring her in today. And I said, well, you know, she's only free between two and three. If you have an appointment, then I'll bring her in. If not, we'll bring her in next week. And luckily they had an appointment between two and three. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's when she was, you know, taken directly from the pediatrician to the ER by my husband, um, who called me a bit in shock, um, because we have no family history. We have no medical background. We, you know, this was just a completely new story for us. And, um, yeah. And she was, she was 13 and two weeks from her diagnosis, we were supposed to go on a three week bicycle tour. Um, and luckily, you know, everyone in the hospital is very encouraging about, about continuing with that plan. So um, yeah. So after, you know, after, I guess it was about two days of maybe one or two days being in the hospital with a sharing a room with a screaming kid um, a rude screaming kid who was like screaming to the doctors, get me some water. Um, I wasn't there, but this is what I hear from my husband and my daughter. I was home with my, my younger daughter. Um, we escaped from the hospital. We said, can you just give us a crash course? Because we can't stay here another night. And um, we went home. Um, I spent the next week, you know, on the phone trying to get coverage for a Dexcom and an Omnipod and trying to get the Riley link before we left for France. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was, that was the beginning of now. You were able, were you, you weren't able to get that Riley link that quickly though, right? I was not able to get the Riley link that quickly, but we did get the Dexcom and the Omnipod. And when we got back from our trip, um, three weeks later, the Riley link was waiting for us. Nice. That's lovely. I just got the orange one. Do you know about the orange one? I I've seen about the orange one. Yeah. How is it? It's got much better connectivity uh, than the Riley link did for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, that's it's, good. Yeah. yeah. I should probably order one. Although I'm, um, I'm, you know, I'm anticipating uh, a switch to tide pool and as much as we love our Riley link, um, it has, you know, we've been through three or four, my, my daughter's, you know, has, she's gotten some cracks in them and, um, <laughs> you say she an active life. <laughs> Arden's is wrapped in hot glue. <laughs> so it, 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 she'll come over to me. She's like, this piece fell off. And then we'd like try to like surgically put it back on and then eventually it comes off again. Then we end up just wrapping hot glue around it. Um, and I want to be clear, the connectivity, um, distance was, is, was problematic for us with or without the hot glue. But, uh, right, but right. no, um, yeah. I listen, one of my, one of my most treasured ideas about the upcoming year is Omnipod 5 for that exact reason, because um, for people who don't understand, there's um, what Kim's daughter, I'm sorry, your daughter's name is? Nina. Nina. What Nina is using, what Arden's using is a do-it-yourself link. We have a ton of episodes about it um, in the podcast, um, but the connectivity between the pump and the CGM and the app that resides on your phone like none of those things were built to do this. So you have to carry this separate device that helps these things all talk to each other. Um, and some, you know, brilliant guy came up with, it. I think named it after his daughter. It's why it's called Riley link. And, um, and it's just, it's, it's amazing technology. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Um, 
But what we're excited about here is that when Omnipod 5 comes out, which used to be called Omnipod Horizon, but it's going to be called Omnipod 5 when it arrives, is that this this circuitry, this connectivity that the Riley link is doing, you know, creating a bridge between the phone, the CGM, all this data together will live, you know, it'll live inside of the Omnipod when the Omnipod comes out. So the actual algorithm will be printed on every circuit board in every Omnipod. So you won't need to even have connectivity back to your phone where right now is where Arden's algorithm lives. So Arden's and Nina's algorithm lives in an app on their phone and the phone needs to be connected to the pump for it to do the things it's going to do. Temp basal increases, decreases, all the stuff it does. But once um, Omnipod 5 comes, the algorithm will be right on the pod, which means you'll be able to walk away from your phone and you'll only need your phone when you're saying, like, I'm, eat- I'm taking in carbs now or something like that, giving it actual direction. It's very cool. And that'll work just as well with Tidepool's version of the Omnipod, of the algorithm as well. Am I right about that? Um, yeah, so with Tidepool, um, your the, the the algorithm will be on your device, so like your iPhone or your iPod, and um, and with the Horizon Five, um, or sorry, I guess that's that's both names. With the yeah. Omnipod Five, um, the algorithm will be in the device, but they're both they're both great solutions because yeah. you no longer have this extra device that needs to stay really close to you. So Tidepool is going to still need a bridge. They need a bridge, but it will. You no longer need a RF to Bluetooth converter, which is what the Riley Link is. So, okay. um, but yes, you'll need um, you'll need an iPhone. So it'll just be from the phone to the pod. Yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. With, yeah. So no Riley Link, but still the algorithms on the phone. I got it on the phone. Exactly. Yeah. I can't wait to learn yeah. about all this as it's coming out this year. So yeah, yeah, it's very cool. And these are these are things that are no longer in clinical trials. So they're um they're they're coming real soon because they've been through all the trials and they've been proven to work and submit to the FDA. So um pretty soon we'll yeah, well pretty soon we'll all get to try them. Yeah, waiting for the FDA to say yes, right? Yes, exactly. That's exciting. Um okay, so your so your daughter's diagnosed pretty commonly. Is there any type one or other endocrine issues in your family? Does somebody have a hypothyroid situation, celiac disease, anything like that? I have Hashimoto's, so ah, yes. There we go. This, this is, is my as I, I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's and then learned that my mom and my grandmother have Hashimoto's. So yeah, we have some we have some autoimmune stuff in the family, Did but your, that's it. Yeah, your mom and your grandmom just call it like being tired, or what was the? Um, I think they took like low dose levothyroxine and just never really talked about it. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And so you have it. When when were you diagnosed? Uh, about five years ago, after two years of um, hardly being able to work and my husband telling me I was a zombie. And yeah, I, then I was like, ah, okay, there's a way to fix this. Gotcha. So, yes. So so in, in the correspondence that we've done back and forth, you said that you enjoyed the thyroid episode that I did with Dr. I Benito. did. What is the name of that woman again? She was brilliant. Addie Benito. She is Addie really- Benito. Yeah, yeah. I loved her. She, so I- was diagnosed maybe five years ago, but what she shared on that episode is sort of what I've learned over five years and she shared it in an hour. So, you know, take Cytomel, change your diet, do this, do that. Like I just, I was, yeah, she just, she had all of the non-standard protocols like completely covered. And those are the things that really bring you from like 50% functioning with the standard drugs to, I'd say, you know, 90% functioning with all the other stuff she, she threw in there. So yeah, I just, I wish I had heard her episode five years ago. And I think Scott, it took diabetes for me to understand that there's so much more we can do for any medical issue on our own, you know? 
so you felt like I take this pill and whatever boost I get out of it is what I get. And that's that. Yeah. 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 I find her voice to be most comforting when she says things that would, that are difficult to separate from like something I heard on the internet versus something that's really valuable. Um, Yeah. And, and that's why I enjoy her a lot. And I'll tell you, she's, she is, um, I was clear about this in the episode, but she is my wife and daughter's endocrinologist for their thyroid. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's brilliant. I'm yeah. I'm thinking of giving her a call. I think I'm doing a lot of what she said already now, but um yeah, I, I loved her. She was very clear and um just very um really combining great sort of standard medical expertise with, you know, what more can we do through diet and other, you know. I'm a I'm a big fan of somebody who a understands what they're talking about, b can talk about it, and c leaves you with something that's actionable that that shows value. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know. Oh, and speaking of um, celiacs, I don't I don't know if if Nina has celiac or not. Um, she's only been tested once, and she hasn't really been e- eating gluten. But there's actually an back to my my passion, my clinical trials. There is a study out right now. Um, it just launched. That is a six month study with a an oral pill to, and it's for it's for patients who have type one diabetes and celiac. Um, and the pill is supposed to like protect um, the T1D from like intestinal and symptomatic distress that they might have if they accidentally digest minute amounts of, of the gluten protein. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's kind of interesting and that's like for kids and adults and, um, and yeah, it's a T T1D and celiac. Is that, is that drug something that, um, you take like, oopsie, I just ate bread and I didn't mean to, or is it something you take every day in case it happens? I think it's something that I'm not sure if it's daily or what the protocol is, Mm -hmm. but I think it's something that you take for six months. Um, and then, you know, so I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an oops thing. Gotcha. What's that trial called? Um, it is, <laughs> that's a good question. It, 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 if you talk about hard to word, hard to say um, words, it's um, lataglutinase treatment, L-A-T-I, then gluten, A-S-E, lataglutinase treatment. They should let me... Um name these things. Cause I would call it, oopsie, I had bread and then everybody would remember. And that would be that. Yeah. Well, they did a good job with protect. Um, protect clever is, is pretty good. Although you have to know that it's C L V E R because if you don't, it happened to me while you were talking. If you, if you Google clever type one diabetes, you just get a bunch of cartoons that are like, like lighthearted well, you, things about that. You know, if you, if you Google protect type one diabetes, you might also not get the study, right? Yeah. So you have to know how to spell teplizumab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe you can put that in your show notes. <laughs> yeah, good good luck, everybody. Um, it, actually, it's an interesting word. It's much easier to say when you're not looking at it. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's true. The spelling makes my brain go, I can't be saying this right. Yeah, I keep saying it because now that I've got it, I have to use it. <laughs> teplizumab. <laughs> Um, so, but there's, I, I should let your audience know too, though. I mean, clinicaltrials.gov is awesome. I don't, you know, I don't have a medical background, so there's certainly ways that things are written in there that are not super audience friendly for non-medical professionals, but it's, it's a pretty good resource. Um, and you can just go in and you can type in celiac or type one diabetes and put in your location and your age or your child's age. 
and it'll spit out for you all of the trials that are available in your area. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I wanted to really let people know is that when you go to clinicaltrials.gov, if you scroll down to the bottom and see the locations, there's a name and phone number there. And those are the people, you know, I can tell people about what trials are going on, but I don't necessarily know every detail about them. But if you call that number um, and get in touch with the person who is either the investigator or somebody who works with the investigator in your region, they'll tell you everything that you need to know about a trial that you might be interested in. And you should absolutely call them. That's what they're there for. They want to hear from you. So um, I, I find clinicaltrials.gov pretty easy to navigate. There's there's another tool though that JDRF launched. It's called the, um, well, I think there's two things. One, there's something called the JDRF clinical trial connection tool. So if you Google JDRF clinical trial connections tool, it takes you to a search engine where you can put in your age, your location, um, when you were diagnosed, or actually that's coming soon. Um, just a whole, a whole bunch of other information about yourself and it will spit out clinical trials that are a fit for you. Okay. And then it will let you know down the road if there's anything new that matches for you. Um, so those are great like databases that you can use, but honestly, I find out I mean, I find out because I call the trial centers and learn what's happening. But um, but before I was doing this job, the way I found out about most clinical trials was really just signing up for all the newsletters. Like JDRF is always sending out newsletters with um, information about what what's new and what new trials are happening. And, you know, all the other um, diabetes organizations like Diatribe and Brave Buddies. And like, there's just a ton of, um, ton of, you know, newsletters you can get. And then there's one other, one other resource I want to give. There's a guy named Josh Levy who lives lives in Northern California, but he he reports worldwide on type 1 diabetes. And like us, he's just he's a parent who decided to do what he can to help. And he has um he has a blog called Cure Research for Type 1 Diabetes. And um, if you if you like Google Josh Levy, L-E-V-Y diabetes, you can find his blog and he actually gets pretty technical. Um, although, you know, like me, he's not a, a medical professional. I think he's a software developer, but he writes about everything new, like what the findings are and all the latest studies, what studies are being offered. And so I've learned from him that, you know, in Europe, they're studying how, um, you know, vitamin D and um, probiotics are helping people manage their blood sugar. And so, you know, these are, these are interesting studies just to know about, because heck, I can give my daughter some vitamin D, <laughs> mm-hmm. even if I can't get into the, the study in the Netherlands. Yeah. Arden takes um, a vitamin D, a, a yeah. significant amount. And uh, we all do here, actually. Yeah. It's a good thing, especially yeah. with COVID evidently. Yeah. Who knows? I, I, I can't say, uh, um, I can't say one way or the other. I just know that it's inexpensive and not hard for me to take. So <laughs> yes, and and evidently a lot of a lot of diabetics, um, a lot of people with type one diabetes, um, have, have low, low vitamin D, D. Yeah. and so there's something going on with the beta cell receptors and vitamin D that, um, it's it's uh, important to learn to to supplement if they need it. And my my daughter's level was super low when we got it tested. Yeah, low vitamin D. Um, I think you might find with Hashimoto's too. Um a low ferritin level, like your iron levels off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, B12 is another thing to look at you when you're getting your blood test to have those checked. There's also, and Addie talked about it in her episode. There's a, you, you do, you really do have to be cognizant of 
levels that your doctor will tell you are in range because in range has a, a pretty broad meaning and levels where they see things happening. Like I, I, I want to use one of the numbers. Like Addie said, if you're a female of God, you have to go back to listen to the episode. I think she was talking about, um, I think she was talking about if you're menstruating and you're female, that your iron, like your ferritin level needs to be at like 70 or something like that. Like it can be lower and be considered in range, but, but they, but there's a level that she sees it at that is just, um, optimal, more optimal. Um, and so anyway, you can't always just take like, you know, I'm in the range. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think for vitamin D, you know, they got my daughter from, they got Nina from 17 to 25 by giving her a mega dose of vitamin D for a week. But they say optimal is more like 30 or even 50. Mm -hmm. So even though she's now considered quote in range, I I don't think it's good enough. Yeah. uh, So when we, we, the same thing, you get this prescription for this 10,000 I use, you take it once weekly for sometimes they give you four or eight pills, depending on how low you are to kind of boost your vitamin D. But yeah. I would say that in this house, everyone here is taking like 5,000 IUs of vitamin D a day. Just, yeah. it's not, it's not too much. Uh, we've, you know, in our opinion, we also take uh, I agree. a small amount of zinc, um, B12. Uh, I have to take iron and I take it with uh, an azorbic acid because my body won't pick it up if the two aren't taken together. Yeah. You know, so there's little, little tricks there for that. Um and you know, you can't take iron every day. Like I've, I, I, and I had to figure that on my own. Like I had to figure out yeah. how much do I have to take to impact it. And, yeah. you, and that is going to, you can't just start taking stuff and never think about it again. You have to book follow-up blood, you know, yes. blood draws and things like that. So yes. I took it every day. It made my iron too high. Um, I, I felt fine, but the doctor's like, mm-hmm. try taking it like three times a week and see yeah. what happens. So we kind of took yeah. some back a little bit. It's, it's a bit of a process. Yeah. Uh, but it's very valuable when it's over. Yes, absolutely. Having energy is is a key. <laughs> yeah, you don't realize. I've tried to make this point a bunch of times, but as your energy diminishes, you don't have a perspective of where it was on day 1 versus where it is now. You just yeah. it's a str- it just feels like the struggle to stay alive gets harder, but you don't feel like today is any different than last month for some Absolutely. reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, which is why you need your husband to tell you you seem like a zombie. Yeah. How'd that go when he told you that, by the way? You know, I, I said, you're right. Really? <laughs> yeah. I would have got yelled yeah. at for that. See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was right. And I, yeah, it's just sort of, I, yeah, I'd, I'd faded over time, but luckily I'm, yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder why that is. It's really fascinating stuff. And so I wanted to ask you about please. one other super important development in the type one world. Have you heard about Viasite? Oh, Viasite. I remember talking to somebody about that years ago. Okay. So they have, this is super exciting news. Um, They have just launched a clinical trial of basically taking stem cells that they get from IVF and um, they, they make them into precursor beta cells in the lab. So basically when these cells are put in a human, they become beta cells and produce insulin and all the other hormones that our type one diabetics are missing. Um, they put the way, the way they're able to put these cells into patients. So they've been putting these cells in patients before, but they needed to give those patients immunosuppression, immunosuppressive drugs. So it was really only something that they were testing in people who had, you know, really 
poorly controlled diabetes, hypoglycemia, unawareness. Um, but now they've figured out a way. They've partnered with the company that, you know, the company that makes like Gore-Tex jackets. They also are a big medical materials company called Gore. Mm-hmm. So Gore made this these packets and they put these precursor beta cells in the packets. They make a small incision along the sides of the patient and they stick the packets in. So it's like a minor, minor surgical procedure and voila, they produce insulin. So this is a functional cure for diabetes. They, they call it a functional cure because, you know, you're not, you need the packets, right? It's not yeah, you, you still have type producing right. the insulin, but, but effectively once this is working and functioning inside of a, a type one diabetic, they no longer need to, you know, take insulin, exogenous ins- insulin. It's that's being produced within their body when they need it. So, um, so this is a trial that started last month. Um, so it's brand new, um, but they've, you know, they did it in in various animal studies, and it was shown to work. They've already put the precursor beta cells into, you know, humans who have. Um, without the packets, and that's been proven to work. So they know that this works, um, and they're testing it in humans now. Um, you know, mostly to make sure that the packets work. Um, they've put different materials in before. The the first one they tried didn't work because um, you know it didn't cause any any bad problems. But basically, people built up a little bit of fibrosis around the packet, and then it wouldn't the you know, the insulin and the other hormones couldn't get out as well. Mm-hmm. So they have redesigned this material and now they've tested this material in animals that the other one didn't work in. And so they know that it works in animals that are very similar to humans. Um, and they just started this trial. It's launched now in Texas and Georgia and um, both in Southern and Northern California for um, obviously they're not testing it yet in kids, but for people aged ages 18 to 65, um, they're, they're looking for patients to try this out. Um, and this is, this is really, really exciting because this is literally the first functional cure that doesn't require immunosuppression that's happening in humans. And, um, yeah, i mean, this one brings tears to my eyes. It's so. really interesting that you bring this up because I, as soon as you said Vitacide, I was like, I know that company name. And so I went to my own website and, and mm-hmm. searched it and I did an interview about this in 2014 yes in 2014 i interviewed a jdrf scientist who was talking about this yeah so and, yeah, jdrf funded a lot of the early research for right. biosite um and got them off and running on their own and i, I think by jdrf funded the early animal and uh, preclinical research um mm-hmm. on this technology yeah the and back then he i remember him saying um 10 years, it might take 10 years to figure it out. And so what year was that? What year 2014, say? he told me 10 oh, years. Oh, okay. And, okay. Um, They're ahead of schedule. And, well, he also <laughs> said that the biggest issue ends up being um, the, is scaling. Like, mm-hmm. like right, like you can, I remember talking to him about, the, the technology is amazing, right? Like the yeah. idea that, the idea that one day there might be a packet of something that you have inserted under your skin that might last for, and I forget back then what they were hoping it would last a year. I think they were hoping for something like that. You'd have it switched out when it stopped being um, effective. Right. And I think they were hoping to make that longer and, you know, but that was still a lot of hoping. Um, But what he said was, is that even if we, cause I asked him this question, I said, if you got it perfect, right? Like you just got it perfect and it was ready to go. 
you know, how long until we see it then? He goes, well, that's when the real problems come up with manufacturing, getting the cells, scaling. It's not like, it's not like with COVID, right? Where you're like, okay, well, first we'll come up with a vaccine. And then when we have a vaccine, we'll produce it all. And maybe it'll take us a year to get it all produced for everybody, which is sounds long to people because we've been trapped in our houses for, you know, coming up on 11 months here. But, um, but, uh, but the truth is, is that to, to, to make enough of anything to give to everybody in a year is amazing. But yeah. he, he said this would take much longer than that. It okay, would take so a long I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you what three updates. What are they updates. saying now? Yeah. I'm going to give you three updates from that. So one is they have solved the supply and scale problem because um, this is newer research. Back when they were, when they started doing this, they were using cells that they got from cadavers mm-hmm. and that was hard to find and it was hard to get enough. Um, and so, you know, you've got patients still like they do, you know, they know that this technology works partly because they do islet transplants, but they've been using cadavers. I mean, they've been doing that for a while. Um, it was called the Edmonton protocol. Um, so now they, what's new is that they've figured out how to make these precursor beta cells from stem cells. And they say they have basically an unlimited supply. Like oh, cool. you don't even need like, you know, one, you know, sort of IVF um, result to get like, I guess, I don't know what the numbers are, but enough stem cells for most of the patients. Like it's evidently an unlimited supply of stem cells now that they know how to do this in the lab. The other thing is this gore material. This is one of the things they're testing. They don't know how long it will last, but that one year, um, I think they're hoping that that can be a lot longer in terms of, you know, how often you need to get the the packets changed out. But that's one of the things that they'll be testing. Um, so they've kind of surprised, they've kind of solved the supply and scale thing and they're, they're testing out that, you know, how long can it last? I'm going to ask you to test my recollection. So the idea is that these cells that are going to make insulin, right? They're going to, mm-hmm. they're going to notice your body's need for insulin and make just enough the way your yeah. pancreas would yeah. get, get put inside of this packet. And the problem ends up being that is that if your body can get to it because you have type one diabetes, your body's going to kill those cells too, the way it went after your pancreas. Exactly. So, right. So you have to be able to keep them alive and functioning and keep your immune system from being able to get to them. And that's what this Gore-Tex yeah. thing. So blood about. flow has to get through, but you have to protect the cells from the immune system attack, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, that's why it's such a specialized material. They have, if you go to the via, it's via site, v, like via VIA site, yeah. C-Y-T-E. If you go to the via site website, they have a four minute video that describes how these packets work. Um, and so they have like, I think they have like micro holes in them that enable the blood flow, but somehow also protect at the same time from the immune system attack. Do you think one day, Kim, you'll just go to trial net? They'll tell you you have antibodies, and then your a surgeon will put a Gore-Tex blanket over your pancreas, and that'll be the end. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just put my jacket on. I'll yeah. be good to go. <laughs> I'm just now picturing a pancreas like, oh, I got to wear this snuggie now. And, uh, That's right. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm protected from the rain, and I'm not going to get diabetes. That's right. Well, I have to be honest. I In 2014, the reason they were on I – mean, I had a really popular blog back then, so I – there was a gateway to getting your information onto it. I just didn't let anybody who wanted to say something, you know, be involved, you know, Mm -hmm. put something on site. I was super excited about it back then because it seemed to me, and I remember saying this back then, that this is all wrapped around science that we currently understand how to use. 
And yeah. that's why it was exciting to me because it wasn't yeah. theoretical in anybody's mind anymore. It was like, if we take this and protect it like this, then this happens. Yeah. And you they've know? been doing, yeah, they've been doing every piece of this. So they, they know it works. Um, yeah. It just, um, and so I think they, you know, they're interviewing the initial patients now to get going. And this is, you know, this is going to be really, really exciting to follow. And if anyone out there 18 to 65, um, they're going to expand the sites. I think they're going to have 10 sites throughout the United States, but mm-hmm. right now it's Texas, Georgia, and California. Um, yeah, you know, our, our kids, you know, our it kids would, are too young, but wow. I, I think it's really exciting. Maybe someone else should be coming up with a zipper so that we can have installed on our bodies so that we can just unzip <laughs> it and stick the pack in. I'd like to see someone get involved in that pretty quickly. That's right. Yeah. That would be, yeah, we'll, any, we'll work on that on the side. Any doctor out there listening who wants to develop a zipper, I think is a great idea. I don't <laughs> obviously understand how the human body works. Or, well, hopefully yeah. they won't have to take them in and out that often and they won't need the zipper. Well, so I, that that, one, I think that one's behind. They haven't even started that one in animal studies. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be something? Um, I, I, not, not the zipper thing, Kim, but wouldn't it be something? <laughs> I, sorry, I got you laughing in the wrong direction. Uh, wouldn't it be something if they could make something like this work and it wasn't a yearly thing, even it was, you know, I mean, God, if you could get three years out of it, you know, just to show back up in a doctor's office, you know, on some sort of incremental, you know, schedule and they, you know, open it back up, take out the packet, put in a new packet. That's a fairly That's what exciting. it is. Yeah. 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 So, um, I know you don't have as much time, but you know, my daughter has four more years till college. So I'm hoping this stuff keeps coming. <laughs> oh, I hope so too. It can't come fast enough. I'm, I'm up for all of it. I really am. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm in general, I'm a fan of taking as good of care of yourself as the current technology allows. Yeah. You know? So if a CGM exists, uh, I would like it. If, you know, and I felt that way so many years ago when we had the first Dexcom that we ever had, which people would tell you like, oh, it didn't work that great. You know what it worked better than? Everything else that existed before it. And yeah. and so, and then the next, yes. the next Dexcom comes out and they go, oh, you know, it's a little better, but it's not a big leap, isn't it? Because it's better than everything else that ever existed before. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've talked about some pretty groundbreaking stuff. I mean, these are really exciting things like teplizumab and Viasite, but all of those incremental getting better things, right? Like the, the G7, I know you've had, you know, Dexcom on to talk about that and yep faster insulins and which I know you've tried and they're coming up now with glucose responsive insulins and all the closed loops. Like there's, yeah, it's just, it gets, it gets better and better and why not? Yeah. I use I, the best. You, yeah. I've said this a million times and I'll keep saying it. You do not want to wake up one day and realize that you're managing your type one diabetes the way they did it a decade ago. Yeah. Um, you should, you need to kind of stay, you don't have to be on the, out on the, on the absolute, you know, tip of the sword as far yeah. as, you know, uh, uh, things go, but you need to be on the crest of the wave that's moving. Yeah. Forward. And I think that's hard, Scott. I mean, I think, you know, my daughter was diagnosed a year and a half ago, and then I took this role helping educate people about clinical trials. So it's, you know, I, I mean, partly selfishly, this job is keeping me abreast of everything that's new, but I've met a lot of people, you know, lovely dads in our community who have, you know, given Nina some advice when she first got diagnosed and they're not staying on top of it because they, they've figured out how to manage what they were, what they've been doing for the last 30 years. Right. Um, and so I, that's, I think the hardest part is how to either of us really get the word out to these people who have just sort of settled into what they've been doing for so long, but 
but it could be so much better. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to reach everybody. I've, I talk about yeah. it every once in a while when I talk more about like the idea of a podcast over the diabetes aspect of it. I, you know, there's, there's one point, I don't know what, do you know what the number is now? 1.8 million Americans have type one diabetes. Is that right? Am I close yeah, I to that that's number? About right. And you know, I have, I, I probably have an audience that is as big as a, of an audience of people who are interested in type one diabetes as exists. And I don't touch a small percentage of those people. So, well, I think, you know, part of the problem is both of us get access. I mean, maybe you more than me, you get access to the people who already care a little bit and are looking for more information, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that is that really is it, is that there's only a, even a small percentage of people who have it even think to look for more information. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, the one thing that we do get, because JDRF does, um, because JDRF gives out this bag of hope, which is, you know, all this information about diabetes and uh, stuffy. And, you know, they give these bags to people when they get diagnosed. And so they find out about new diagnoses and can get in touch and see how they can help these patients. And um, so we do find out about people who have new diagnoses to get information to them. But but these people who've had it for so many years, it's it's a little harder to find them. And, you know, a lot of these studies I talked about are for kids, but something like Viasite, I mean, I should, you know, should probably email all these dads and let them know about it. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it really is the biggest, one of the biggest issues is just, is just finding people and connecting with them. It is, yeah. not, it is not easy. And, and like you said, people get into a settled situation where they're actually, they're managing well now and they don't think about it much anymore. And that, yeah. that becomes, uh, that becomes, you know, they become more disconnected from this, from a space that might have great information for them. And you know what? And some people might just not care, which is fine too, you know? Yeah, but they won't, I know, but that's hard because I feel like they won't care, but if they just would make the, you know, get the latest and greatest, they'd be like, oh, wow. <laughs> but you're right. You can't, you can't do anything for somebody who really just doesn't, doesn't want to change. Yeah, they're not interested. They're not interested. I'm not about pushing things on people, but I no, do, course, but I do yeah. love, I do love the idea of letting them know about it. You yeah. Know? Well, that's the so. thing. That's why when I found out that 70% of trials don't fail because people don't know about them, mm -hmm. like, I mean, I just feel like the benefits personally to getting involved in these trials, not just sort of medically and societally, um, you know, this is people can, you know, they get their free Dexcom, their personal endocrinologist, a sense of control and, and really the latest and greatest drugs and technology and now cures. So, and you help um, move the whole thing yeah. forward too, which is really about it is taking, I, we were just talking about on something recently. I think I said it with Carla, like, you know, this idea of like, you're just pushing things forward, pushing things forward. And you have to be, you have to be excited to know that you might be part of something that happens so many years from now that you don't get to see the, the end result of it. But yeah. I'll tell you why that should mean more to people who have type one uh, is because, it, you know, it's very likely that if it's, you know, if your kid has type one diabetes, it might not be their kid, but it might be their kid's kid, but it's, it's yeah. very likely going to stay in your family. I mean, look at you, you've yeah. got three women with Hashimoto's. If your daughter ends up with Hashimoto's, that ain't going to be any great surprise. And no, no, not you, at all. You know, the, the levels are trending there. Yeah. Right. And so, and so, why not? If you can, why not take what's happening to you and help make it so that people in the future maybe don't have to live the same way? That's how all this happens. You know. Yeah. So get involved. Absolutely. And I, I really feel like they won't. And um, yeah. And if I, 
if I can, you know, do whatever I can to, I know you're interviewing a ton of people, like you said, two days ago, somebody who's involved in as an investigator with the teplizumab trial, but if I can do anything to keep you informed of everything that's going on with the trials so that you can inform your audience, um, I'd Kim, love to. Kim, you're well-versed and your microphone sounds good. You've got the job. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you let Excellent. me know. Let me know as you know about things. I really, I appreciate it. Let me say goodbye to you here because Arden's bugging me to make her lunch. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N.com forward slash juice box. After that, check out the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. You need an accurate meter that you can count on, and you can have it at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Last, I want to thank Kim for doing this and let you know I think she's going to be back again. Kim uh, knows a lot about this clinical trial stuff, and I found it very interesting. I hope you did too. We'll see you soon. <laughs>